Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 23rd, 2018. On today's episode, we'll discuss the latest film and TV news uh, and get a reaction uh, for Arrested Development Season 5, which is coming to Netflix. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast are Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. We will get to the Arrested Development Season 5 review later in this podcast, but before that, let's get into the news, and let's start off with news that uh, about the John Wick director's next project. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yes, Chad... Stahelski? Uh, so Stahelski, I think? Sure, Chad Stahelski, let's <laughs> say that. Uh, <laughs> By the way, yeah, it, it, it's also very confusing whenever we say the director of John Wick because there was two directors of John Wick. Right. Well, Chad Stileski was the accredited director, but everyone knows that he and David Leach co-directed the film. And then David Leach basically went off to do his own thing. He dire- he just directed Deadpool 2 and he did Atomic Blonde. Um, anyway, so Chad Stileski, again, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, he's sticking with Lionsgate, who also made John Wick, to make another action film. It's called Analog, and it's an adaptation of the a Image Comics comic series. And um, it's set in the, the not-too-distant future uh, when internet privacy is basically a complete thing of the past, which uh, isn't that far-fetched considering where we are right now. And... Um, uh, there's a there's a lengthy synopsis, but it, it, it involves you know what you can expect from this director, where you, there's going to be a bunch of stylish shootouts and stuff like that. It, it sounds very interesting. I haven't read the comic, but uh, managing slash film managing editor Jacob Hall has, and he tells me it's very good and it has a very uh, strong sense of world building. So. Um, you know, it, it's a neat little sci-fi premise, and uh, in this director's hands, it'll no doubt be a very stylish action film. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the art 
for this series on if you just Google it, uh, it looks very much uh, very cinematic. Um, I I have also not read this comic. Uh, I I do love a lot of what Image Comics does. Uh, a, a website I often go to um, uh, when I'm looking into what comics uh, I'm going to buy on Comicology is a site called Comic Book Roundup, which is kind of like the Rotten Tomatoes of the comic book world. Uh, they The average critic rating for this uh, series is 7.3, which isn't too high. So I'm not sure if, if it's that great, but uh, it seems like Jacob likes the, the world building, which... Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, these John Wick guys, uh, what they they have done with the John Wick universe, uh, you know, let's give them some world, world building. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. And now let's get into a bit of theme park news. Last night, Disney Parks announced uh, when we can expect to enter a galaxy far, far away. Uh, they revealed that Star, we- Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in California's Disneyland would be open in summer of 2019, while the Hollywood Studios version in Walt Disney World would be opening in uh, fall of that year, so a little bit later. Um, but the, the news that I really want to talk about is a new rumor that Universal Studios might be planning a Star Trek land to compete against Disney World's Galaxy's Edge. Ben, what is going on here? Yeah, so Disney and more reports a rumor that Universal Studios might actually be working on a full entire Star Trek land that could be a part of their upcoming fourth theme park. So a few years ago, Universal acquired and bought up a ton of land around the convention center in Orlando, Florida, and they haven't officially announced that they're opening a new park yet, but it seems like that is definitely what they're going to be doing. We've actually talked on this podcast before about some of the rumors about uh, different, um, I guess, options that they could have. There's been some rumors that they might have a Lord of the Rings section, maybe even a Jurassic World section. But now the the rumor that we've actually sort of been hearing some rumblings about from our own sources as well is that an entire Star Trek land might be part of this new park once it eventually launches. So uh we don't know anything about like what would actually be there in terms of attractions or anything like that but there actually was a star trek uh ride or not really a ride more of like an interactive stage show called star trek adventure that was at universal studios from the late 80s to the mid 90s so even though the movie rights for star trek are uh, controlled by paramount and the tv rights to the show belong to cbs star trek actually has had some relationship with universal studios theme parks in the past so um yeah it's kind of a, a fascinating thing if this happens it would definitely be seen as a way for Universal Studios to directly compete with the, you know, the other big sci-fi franchise in Star Wars across town. And uh, Universal and Disney are constantly sort of going head to head in terms of theme parks and one upping each other. And Star Trek and Star Wars is a, uh, a time honored geek debate about which franchise is better. So it all seems to sort of fit in well uh, thematically there. Um, Peter, what do you think about this? Do you think a Star Trek land is something that people would pay to go visit in person? I don't know. Like, I, I, I do know that, you know, obviously Star Trek had a big fan base uh, from the 60s to 70s. Um, you know, uh, or the recent movies that J.J. Uh, Abrams started out. Uh, I, I think there was a healthy fan base returning to the franchise there as well. But 
they've kind of waited. There's been too many years in between each of these installments, and uh, Star Trek Discovery hasn't gotten the the best of reception from fans or critics. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, are there enough people excited to go into the world of Star Trek? And I, I, I guess, you know, that leads me into to pose the question to Chris. Chris, which would you rather uh, jump into, the, the g- galaxy of Star Wars or the world of Star Trek? I'm sure uh, Star Trek fans will yell at me for this, but when I picture Star Trek, I always picture it in like a confined space. Like it's always like on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. It's always like indoors. Whereas when I picture Star Wars, I picture, you know, all those landscapes and, you know, out in space, all that stuff. Like, I don't know, that's just when I picture the iconography of those two things. Star Wars stands out as the more open world. So I can see that more clearly as a theme park than I can Star Trek. Now, again, I'm sure someone will very politely tell me I'm wrong, but that's <laughs> that's how I see it. And there's also, it's, I guess I should mention that um, there were some plans in Las Vegas for a company to build a full-size replica of the Starship Enterprise in the 1990s. And it would have sort of taken some attention away from the Las Vegas Strip and moved that because the, the replica of the Enterprise would have been in downtown Las Vegas. So it would have been a way to sort of divert uh, some tourists over to that part of town. The whole thing ended up never happening, but some concept art made its way online a few years ago. And it's really, I mean, sort of spectacular to behold, like the idea of an entire Starship Enterprise just plopped down in the middle of a city like that. So (laughs) maybe they could do something similar. I mean, I have no idea. This is all 100 percent speculation on my part. But if they were to do something like this, maybe they could do something like that for uh, for Universal Studios, like drop a full size enterprise in as the theme park and then have different areas of the ship be different rides and attractions and stuff like that and that way it could sort of keep that enclosed space that you're talking about chris but also uh serve the function of being like a self-contained park in and of itself peter what do you think about that well it's weird because the the enterprise does not land on land um in in the series so i'm wondering if universal would stick that uh stringent to you know the the you know the theming of the world we see in the movies and tv shows um but you know that there aren't many worlds in star trek that i would like to visit but i would like to be on the the enterprise and i think that would be cool walking around this huge starship and being able to you know be on that bridge and be part of, uh, you know, we have this article today uh, from one of our, our freelancers, Vanessa, who, uh, you know, is comparing there's this like VR experience for Star Trek, uh, which is incredible. And basically you each get to be a member on the bridge of the Enterprise and you have to work together to, like com- you know, complete the goals of the mission and stuff like that. I think that would be incredibly cool to do, you know, in an actual Enterprise. But now that they already have a VR version, which you can download on your home consoles uh, and, you know, essentially have goggles on and see your friend from across the bridge, I'm not sure if, like... There is even a point to do this, uh, you know, in reality. <laughs> it's sad that I'm saying that. But, um, yeah, I don't know what a Star Trek ride would be other than to, you know, be piloting the Enterprise in some way. But uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if it, what comes of this. I, I kind of, 
as much as it sounds like this might actually be happening, I kind of love the rumor of um, them building Lord of the Rings land in this new Universal theme park, which, uh, Ben, I know you're a big fan oh, of yeah. that franchise. W- 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 which would you rather, Star Trek I mean, or Lord of the Rings? I, I would definitely prefer the Lord of the Rings, but I, I feel like if the Universal has this whole new, if they're going to be opening an entire new park, maybe they have enough room to do both. I don't know. That would be kind of a cool thing because having Lord of the Rings and Star Trek, I mean, those are two of the biggest names in fantasy and science fiction. So that would be a pretty good way for them to compete with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge because as we know that's like a hugely immersive experience and everybody is going to be talking about that for a long time and I'm sure people at Universal the executives and the theme park people are eyeing that very nervously right now so uh, anything they could do to compete is probably a pretty high on their priority list and the double whammy of Lord of the Rings and Star Trek might be exactly what they're looking for I don't know and more Harry Potter because they already have two harry potter lands they need a third uh but let's move on from theme park news to some casting uh we've been talking about all the people joining it chapter two chris you have an update for us uh yes so an actor named jay ryan is the latest addition of the cast he's playing the adult ben uh the character played by jeremy ray taylor in the 2017 film uh it and uh, no, who is that, Chris? Who is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, no, no offense to Mr. J. Ryan, who uh, I have no doubt is a nice person and a, and a fine actor, but I have no idea who the hell this is. And this this casting has disappointed me ever so slightly because up until now, the ca- casting for this movie has been fantastic. I mean, Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, James Ransone, all these people, they're they're either really well-known actors or actors you at least recognize from stuff. And I don't know this guy. He was on the CW version of Beauty and the Beast, which I guess they had a series based on that. Uh, He's appeared on a show called... God, what's it called? I don't even know. Oh, Mary Kills People. I don't know what that is. Some <laughs> And he's also appeared on Top of the Lake, which I've heard of. And I, I've seen the first season of that, but I don't remember who he played. So he's not exactly someone who stands out for me. And so, you know, uh, I, I have a lot invested in this movie because I, I love Stephen King. I loved the 2017 It, and I'm very excited for this film. And, 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 and there have been a lot of people, including ourselves, who have been do, doing fantasy casting for this movie in this role. Uh, who who would have been your top choice? See, I don't I don't even know. Um, uh, HT, our, our own HT, pointed out that this this actor looks like a, a bargain basement Carl Urban. And when I heard that, I was like, man, I just wish they had cast Carl Urban in that because that would have been amazing. But it, 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 there's a there's a part of me that's like. I wish they had cast literally anyone else for this part. But to be fair, but you know, again, you, you don't remember this actor, no. uh, so you don't re- see. I guess that means he's un- <laughs> it's not memorable <laughs> enough. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We we should give him a chance. Um, right? Like I was I was gonna say. Like to be fair, uh, everyone in the 2017 it was pretty much an unknown other than like Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. I didn't know who any of those actors were and they all did a great job. So to be fair, you know, just because I don't know who the hell this guy is, doesn't mean it's, you know, I'm going to write the movie off and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful he delivers a great performance. You know, as long as his performance is good, I'll be happy, but there will always be a part of me that wishes 
they had added someone a little well more well known. And now there's only one part left, and I'm very curious uh, to see who that'll be. That that's the character of Mike. He's the last remaining member of the Losers Club that they have to cast. I also watched the first season of Top of the Lake, and uh, I do not remember this guy at all. But one thing about Jay Ryan is he actually does really look like a slimmed down older version of the kid who played young Ben in the movie. So based on looks alone, he's a good choice. I just hope like you that his uh, his performance uh, bears that out as well. Yes. Uh, Yesterday on the podcast, we talked about Damon Lindelof's Watchmen HBO series, which is not a sequel, not an adaptation but kind of like a follow-up in some way. <laughs> a, a remix, I think, is the words he used. Um, today we get a bit of casting for the series. Uh, Chris, who is joining the show? Uh, a lot of people. So uh, Regina King, Don Johnson, Tim Blake Nelson, Louis Gossett Jr., Adelaide Clemens, and Andre Howard, Andrew Howard, sorry, Howard, have all been announced to join the cast. And... This is a, an interesting lineup. I mean, Regina King was on uh, The Leftovers, which is Damon Lindelof's other show. Don Johnson is a very well-known actor. Tim Blake Nelson is a great character actor. And um, I don't know, it's a very interesting lineup. The only thing is we have no idea who they're playing. Because, uh, like you said, Peter, this this isn't a straight adaptation of the comic. It's actually, it's more like a sequel, where it, it's set decades after the comic. So everyone who died in the comic is still dead. So it's, it's hard to really even guess who they're playing. And Damon Lindelof has said, there's going to be a lot of new characters in the show. So for all we know, all these people are playing brand new characters. We've never heard of before. I, I do like the choices in this casting. There's a lot of like kind of a uh, cool character actor kind of choices. Uh, you know, Don Johnson, who is probably most famous for what Miami vice, um, you know, is kind of, been on a comeback with uh what didn't tarantino cast him in something or he was in he was in uh yeah yeah Yeah. um choices like that are interesting choices that uh you wouldn't typically see i think from hbo casting um so i'm interested ben do you have any thoughts on on this lineup yeah i mean it's it's hard to imagine who these characters are going to be because it sounds like lindelof is doing something so totally different than just a straight adaptation that it's like almost impossible to know but i i think um in the story it says that regina king is like the primary uh person in this cast like the lead of the show so that's an interesting thing and i was talking a little bit yesterday about the idea of uh from behind the scenes, Lindelof, you know, surrounding himself with a bunch of different people who are not straight white guys to write this this modern sort of update of the show. And the idea that they're having a black woman lead the show is totally different from what they did in the comics and and should maybe provide, you know, some sort of a, a different lens through which to view this Watchmen world. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting choice for sure. And uh you know, it should be mentioned that Tim Blake Nelson, who has been involved in two Marvel projects, he was in Fantastic Four and uh, The Incredible Hulk, has now turned to the dark side. He's now entering the world of, uh, well, I guess it's not DC Comics, is it? I, they're owned by, D- Watchmen, the series is owned by DC. I think the sequel is kind of like trying to bring it into that kind of DC multiverse, but I don't think it's actually in the same world as, uh, you know, Batman and Superman, but... um but yeah, anyways, he's jumping from Marvel to uh, uh, DC Vertigo, whatever you want to call it. Um, let's move on to uh, our last bit of casting news, but this is for, for movies. This is casting for the Men in Black 
spin-off, sequel, legacy, equal, whatever you want to call it. Ben, what is going on? Yes, Liam Neeson has been cast in the new Men in Black spinoff sequel thing, whatever you want to call this thing. Uh, we don't know exactly what the movie is going to be about, but we know that it is not going to feature Agents J and K, who are played by Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, we know that Iron Man writers, Mark, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Matt Holloway and Art Markham are going to be writing the film, and Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson are going to be starring in it. Uh, we know that Liam Neeson's character is going to be the head of the Men in Black or organization in london which is where this story is supposed to sort of kick off so uh rip torn the guy who played the lead of the men in black agency in the first film is 87 years old now i just looked him up just now as we were talking and uh i guess that means he's a little bit too old to do this but the idea of liam neeson uh coming into this world seems like a pretty great fit um again we don't know exactly what his take on this character is going to be but the idea of him you know playing like a, a tommy lee jones or rip torn type character where he's like this uh you know curmudgeonly old man um is is pretty appealing i think it's a good fit and he has like pretty good comedic timing too i i'm, I'm thinking of like liam neeson's role in uh, the lego movie um i thought he did an exceptional job there in terms of voice performance and having really great timing as like this good cop bad cop character so uh him playing an authority figure in the men in black universe is pretty appealing to me uh chris peter what do you guys think about this i mean I don't think I really care for any more Men in Black, but I mean, I had fun with the original movie. I actually liked the third film uh, quite a bit, uh, the time travel uh, fun of that. But uh, I don't know. I just uh, I Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson don't do it for you, Peter. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> Chris. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I before all this casting, I would have probably been in the same boat where I'm like, eh, I don't care about a new man in black. But this casting is great. I mean, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth are, are great together, as uh, Thor Ragnarok proved. And uh, I, I am I'm excited to see Liam Neeson do a comedy again. Not again, but just for a change, because he, you know, he primarily sticks to dramatic or like tough guy roles. And uh, as Ben said, he does actually have a really good comedic Tommy there was this show on HBO called extras which the show was just so so but he had a guest part on the show playing himself and he was actually really really funny in just playing this uh you know comedic version of himself so I'm very interested to see him do a comedy for a change um you mentioned the age of uh Rip Torn and Mm -hmm. um you know, this has nothing to do with anything. I've, I've been talking a lot about Cobra Kai recently on the podcast, but uh, this is something I wanted to bring up because w- when I came to this, uh, it was kind of shocking to me that Ralph Macchio, how old do you think Ralph Macchio is, uh, Chris? 50, maybe, or like 48, somewhere around that line. I don't know. Ben. Uh, yeah, I was going to say 47. That was just a guess. He's 56 years old, which is well, shocking wow. in, in, in a couple aspects because, like, I, I know that movie came out in 1984 and he was supposed to be in high school then. But, like, growing up in the 80s, like, you kind of, like, associated yourself with him. Like, so, I don't know, I felt like he was more my age range. So that's kind of shocking. But the other shocking thing is uh, Pat Morita, uh, Mr. Miyagi, in the original movie was 51 when that movie was shot. And uh, I'm not sure if you've seen what Ralph Macchio looks like in 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 Cobra Kai, but like you know, he does not look as old as Pat Morita looked as Mr. Miyagi. 
I don't know. Anyways, uh, I'm sorry to. I derail. feel like people people always looked way older when we were kids too. Like the, like Christopher Lloyd wasn't that old when he started Back to the Future, right? Uh, I actually don't even know his age, but like, yeah, you, you are right. He he has looked like he has been, you know, what in his 60s forever. And uh, that has not been the case. Uh, But let's get to our last bit of news, and that is uh, some box office tracking for Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, We were all unsure at the beginning of the summer of where Solo, a Star Wars story, would – how well it would do. Uh, You know, we've had Rogue One. We've had experience with the Star Wars anthology series film. But, uh, you know, this one was plagued with more problems than that one even. And, uh, you know, when we were doing our summer movie wagers, uh, I feel like people were unsure if this could – you know, be number two or number three or number four or number five, you know, it was all over the map. Uh, so now we finally are, you know, the movie's coming out. We finally get a little bit of info. We, we see some tracking for the film. Chris, how well is Solo going to do? Uh, it's going to do very well. Uh, the The early domestic tracking is going to be somewhere between 135 million to 170 million with overseas projected at 150 million to 170 million. And if this happens and it probably will, this will be the first $100 million plus Memorial day weekend since 2014 when X-Men days of future past opened. And the, the current Memorial day weekend record holder is another Disney film. It's pirates of the Caribbean at world's end which took in 139.8 million. So it looks like uh, Solo is actually going to beat that record and become the uh, as of now all-time Memorial Day weekend box office champ, which uh, seems to be par for the course. It doesn't look like Star Wars will ever slow down at this point at the box office. Yeah, and I, I think people are probably wondering how this compares to the Star Wars franchise in general. Um, you know, this number does not beat the the, the recent saga films, but uh, you know, if it does 170 million, that would be more than Rogue One, uh, which is. Uh, Surprising because you know, uh, I, I thought there was a lot more buzz for that film than there was this film, uh, especially considering you know, uh, not all the critics have liked Solo. Um, but we'll have to see how well it does, uh, and what general audiences think. I, I actually, uh, think. And I'm wondering what you guys think of this, but I actually think that general audiences are going to respond better to this movie than critics have. Uh, both of you have seen the movie. Uh, what do you think of that statement? Chris, what are you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I didn't love Solo. I liked it, but it's a very easy to digest film because there's <laughs> there's really nothing going on in this movie it's just a series of action <laughs> scenes and they're fun they're fun scenes it's an entertaining film the cast is likable everyone's having a good time but there's no real story it's literally just a series of big set pieces and uh, i do think the general public not to sell them short but they're they're gonna really eat that up because you know it's a holiday weekend people just want to kick back and be entertained and they're going to get that from this film ben do yeah. people just want to be in the air conditioning and have fun is that is that <laughs> the sad truth i mean i think that kind of is the sad truth especially with the star wars franchise it seems like that's really you know people want familiarity i i know that we as people who appreciate uh, uh creative risks are always railing against Disney's choices to, you know, feed people a meal that they've had a million times before with just slightly new packaging on it. But that's sort of what happens here in this movie. And 
I, I mean, as much as I, I don't, uh, as much as I would prefer them to take huge swings, I do think that this movie is fine and good enough. And I guess that's, you know, with these tracking numbers, it seems like good enough is going to be, you know, <laughs> good, good for a record breaking success for Star Wars for a long time. Okay, we, we, we are done with the news. Let's get into our future presentation, which is uh, just to get basically Chris's reaction to Arrested Development Season 5. You wrote a whole review on the site. Uh, we don't want to give spoilers. We don't want to um, uh, say anything that people wouldn't want to hear that have not seen this show. But, uh, but I want to get a sense of like oh, what, what you thought of – actually, what did you think of the, the series thus far before we get into this, this actual uh, season? Uh, yeah, the, the first three seasons that, you know, originally ran on Fox are, uh, fantastic. There's, you know, some of my favorite, uh, episodes of TV, especially as far as like comedy goes that, that, that original run was just hilarious and clever and just really well written. And I loved it. And I was of course upset when it got canceled and I was happy when it got saved by Netflix and then Netflix released the the quote unquote fourth season, which was um, a bit of a shock. Um, <laughs> it, it was not it, received well no, from fans um, or critics. What had happened was, you know, when Arrested Development started, the cast wasn't exactly uh, they weren't stars. Um, you know, Jason Bateman was really, you know, the biggest name at the time. And he hadn't really been a star since you know the 80s that was like his comeback vehicle and then after rest development they all their career i you know i guess david cross actually was a name too but you know for the most part they were you know uh, on on the fringes and that show you know blew up their careers and so by the time it was time to do season four they were all very busy with you know doing movies and other shows and it was hard to get them all to come back to shoot scenes together so to compensate the season four did this really weird sort of thing where instead of having, you know, the ensemble together again, which was really the strength of the show, watching all these actors act off each other, it broke them all up into their own individual episodes. So like, you know, there was one episode focused primarily on Jason Bateman's character, one episode on David Cross's character and so on and so on. And it really didn't work because, you know, as I said, one of the things that made the show so great was watching these actors bounce off each other and that, you know, season four just wasn't doing that. Okay. So, uh, coming off of that, you must've liked season five more than that, right? Season five is slightly better, but, uh, it, it, to me, this is a sign that it's time. It's really time for the show to just, to just hang it up. There's, there's not really much more to do with the show. So, you know, before season five started, a lot of uh, the cast was saying, you know, Oh, it's going to be a lot more like the old arrest of element. It's going to be a lot, you know, we're a lot more scenes where we're going to, we're going to be together again. Like Will Arnett said, you know, there's a lot more scenes where the main cast is back together again. And that's sort of true. You, You do get a lot more of that at least then in season four here, but it's still, abundantly clear that a lot of people are just way too busy. Like um, Tony Hale, who plays the character Buster must've been just really busy shooting, I guess veep because he's on that show because he has almost no scenes with anyone other than Jason Bateman. Um, you know, I haven't, I, I've only seen the first five episodes, so maybe <laughs> eventually he, he, he gets back together again, but 
you know, just based on watching that, it's like, oh, they're they're still doing the same thing where they can't get everyone together again. And even beyond that, the jokes just aren't as funny and everyone seems really tired and bored. Like, it just seems like no one wants to be doing this anymore and they're just contractually obligated to keep coming back and play these characters. Uh, the only one who sounds like he's having a good time is Ron Howard as the narrator, who is probably like the funniest part of the show. Uh, you know, Ron Howard continues to just sound like he's having a really great time, probably because he gets all his work done in like one afternoon. He probably comes in and <laughs> reads it all and then leaves, whereas everyone else has to keep, you know, playing these characters again and again, and they just don't seem to be enjoying it. And it just it just made me a little sad just watching season five. I was just like, ah, I wish they would just stop. Like, I, I want this to be the end. There's there's really nothing else you can do with the show. <sighs> That's sad. Sad. Um, And it's also kind of funny that, you know, if I had told you, Chris, if I had if I had gotten into my DeLorean time machine and came to you, you know, went five years back into the past and came to you and been like, Chris, five years in the future, there will be a new season of Rest of Development that you will recommend less than a new Star Wars movie directed by Ron, uh, Ron Howard, uh, would would you have believed me? No, and <laughs> it's 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 very strange because, like I said, when Netflix saved the show, I was thrilled, and that was sort of like the beginning of that era where everyone was like, "Oh, I hope Netflix starts saving other shows," and people are still doing that today. Where anytime something gets canceled. Someone immediately is like, oh, I hope Netflix saves them. But it's, you know, it's kind of ironic that the show is called Arrested Development because it can't really it's like the the audience can't move on. It's like, just let it go. Let the show die at this point. It's OK. It's I know people don't want to hear this, but it's OK to let things end. I, I know people want things to just keep going on and on forever because they feel safe and secure in that but it's okay to let things end sometimes it's all right just let it go please <laughs> then on the other side of the spectrum there's things like roseanne which are monster hits and uh you know have returned after how many years of you know being away uh i don't know it, it's it, it it often makes me think too like you know you have this huge fan base of josh whedon and you know those uh firefly fans who keep on demanding that that show you know, come back together for one more season. Like, I feel like everybody would be so disappointed by whatever that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe it was great that, uh, you know, the Beatles broke up when they did. Do you know what I mean? And didn't turn into, you know, what the Rolling Stones are today. <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe, maybe it's good to have an end as Chris was saying. Uh, ben, uh, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com. You can track me down on Twitter at Ben Pears. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, also, SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. You can find me at SlashFilm. You can find all the stories we talked about today in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. This podcast is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your emails at peter at slashfilm.com. And please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.